I love Sleep Number. I love my Sleep Number bed. I love my Comfort Fit pillow. I just love Sleep Number. I mean, if you have a New Year's resolution, if it's to lose weight or exercise more or stress less, all that starts with getting good sleep. Most Americans don't get the right amount of sleep, or if they're in the bed long enough, they don't sleep right because their bed's not right. Listen, you get good sleep, you're just more productive. The Sleep Number bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, your comfort, your support. It's the perfect bed for couples, too. You each can have your own number. My sleep number setting is 30. You know, if it's adjusting your sleep number setting or making different lifestyle choices, you know what works because Sleep IQ tells you. My Sleep IQ score last night was in the low 90s. Sleep number queen mattresses start at just $699.99. And right now, during the lowest prices of the season, you can save $600 on the Sleep Number i8 bed. You'll only find Sleep Number at any of the 500 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find the one nearest you by calling 800-NEXT-BED. Be sure to tell them that Bobby Bones told you all about them. All right, welcome to episode 31 of the BobbyCast. And then this is our first one, first one, second one of the year, right? Second one of the year. Uh, uh, Marin Morris is here. Hi, Marin. Hi. Finally good to have you at the house. I, uh, beautiful house. Oh, thanks. I put you off for a while because you were too good to come in for a while. Oh, God. I felt like, and I don't know about interview style, but I thought, you know, I want to hold off because it was right when you were blowing up. And this last year, and it's weird because I want to go back for a second, but this last year feels like it has been a tornado of just it, the tornado of Marin. Does it feel like that to you as well? Yeah, it does. And I, I, I'm still processing, even after the, the holidays, still processing everything that had happened last year because it is too many things, I think, <laughs> to be in one window of time but i yeah my my head is still getting wrapped around everything especially towards the end of the year i feel like so much crazy stuff happened if we were sitting in these chairs a year ago today so january of 2016 and i would say hey what is your goal this year like a year ago what would you have said your goal was a year ago well a year ago um i just put church out like i had just gone to radio so that's just like a crazy concept. But I, I guess my hope a year ago was I hope people like my music enough for me to put this record out because it's all really contingent on that. Um, and luckily, you know, people really responded to my church and I had Hero already waiting in the wings. And once it started to pick up traction, um, we got an album ad date, and that was just and like all that's a huge, huge right? I mean, those are huge yeah, deals. Yeah, huge like accomplishment a single, for a new artist. An album, yeah. Uh, even to get an album for a new artist in the land of EPs first, mm-hmm. where they'll put out four or five songs, kind of. T- and you did that, but yeah. Um, but to get an album, that's a big deal because that's a commitment financially from a record label. It is. It's it's a very big deal, and I've had so many friends in this town that have had record deals where. They're so good, and they've made these full records, but then they get shelved, and they never come out or see the light of day. So there's always that fear that, like, oh, if this doesn't get bought enough or spun enough on the radio, I won't get to share the larger story, the whole story with everyone. And, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky that that did not happen. But, um, yeah, I was just... I'd, I'd already basically had most of the album done before I signed my label deal. So it was sitting for a while, and I was just like, okay, my church is going to be the first hello to the universe, I think. And then, um, Was that part of the deal when you signed with the label? Like, I'm coming, mm-hmm. but, and I want this to be the first song. Because you have a little bit of negotiating power if you're coming with music. And 
success digitally like you had. Yeah. And you don't have to be developed or anything. A lot of baby artists, they have to, they're signed and they don't do these deals so much anymore because it's just not, um, financially great for the label anymore. But, um, yeah, if you are already developed and you have like a concept and you're just really solid in your artistry, you don't need to be told what to do or what to wear or how to speak or how to sound. Um, yeah, it's a much less riskier, um, investment for them. So my church was going to be your first single before you signed with anyone in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Like the day I wrote it, I kind of knew that was the one. So what if you would have said, okay, we're here and they're like, you know, we're going to hold off and we're going to go with drunk girls. Don't cry or X. They did. They actually not drunk girls. They wanted to lead with eighties. My label was like, I think we should hold off on my church. Um, I think it was so long ago. It feels like it was so long ago, but I, their reason was they they felt like that was the the ace up their sleeve, and they wanted to throw it out later and just get the like the party song out of the way. You know, a lot a lot of artists like their labels do that, where they'll put the the fun good time song out, and then okay, now people know who you are. Now we can show them how credible you are with this song. And um, I just didn't really feel like I wanted to go that route because it didn't make sense to me. I was like, if honestly the odds are against me, I'm a new artist and I'm a girl. So if I'm going to come out with one and one only, because this could very easily die, um, I'm going to do the song that means the most to me and says all I want to say. If I only got one shot with a song. So a year ago I say, okay, what, what's your goal this year? Um, I think, a, what my goal a year was ago, a year ago. We're, we're here one year ago right now. Marion, what's your goal this year? You're you're a brand new artist. You got nothing. Song just came out. Like, what's your goal this year? I think my goal was just for people to understand my perspective because I don't know. I that sounds very vague, but I I just wanted to I guess test the waters and see if you know just being an artist was even going to be working for anyone outside of my own head. It's like, uh, and I hate to, you know, put so much stock into what others think, but it's like that, that's what you do. It's like your music, but the reason you write it is so other people can relate to it and have that experience with you and as a human being. And so I just hoped a year ago, God, I, I hope, someone likes this. <laughs> I like it, but I hope someone else gets it too. What was your perspective? You say you wanted your perspective out there. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think what I was missing from music, especially like from the female outlook was just, um, an independence. And I, I'm not trying to be like a, a dude basher by any means. I adore love songs and I've written hundreds of them, but I was just at the time of this record being written, I wasn't really in love. I was coming out of a really bad relationship. And, um, I, I think as a woman, I just wanted to like be inspired when I turned the radio on and hear like a woman singing back to me, not about a relationship for once, you know, it's, and that's fine if they are, but I feel like the diversity is sort of lacking where it's like, okay, well we do have a little bit more to talk about here. I mean, dang, like talk about getting drunk or, or a fight you had with your mom or something. just like a real life experience instead of 
always chasing the guy down. I, I just, um, I always obviously was like very bitter back then thinking that, but I still think that today and I'm in a relationship with someone I really love and gets what I'm doing and isn't threatened by, uh, powerful women or strength or success. I still crave that perspective from a female, um, where it's just not about love. It could be about anything. Um, yeah, I think that's the perspective I wanted to bring to the table is, um, you know, I'm not like, I don't have my sights set on marriage or like having a baby right now. It's like I'm in my mid twenties and that's a really special time because, uh, the generational pull from like, you know, when my mom was my age, she, when she was my age now, she already had a five-year-old me. And I, it's bizarre to think about that now, but I just didn't, I didn't, I feel like I'm rambling. I, I, I just want to The beauty to, about this is you can ramble all you want. I know. Just you talk just it out. Down. It's like a therapy session. <laughs> it is. Um, yeah, I just, I forget where I was going. I feel like I led myself down a rabbit trail. But um, yeah, I just, I feel like that's the perspective I was craving and the perspective I thought I was bringing to the table. You know, you're getting a lot of, and you, and you are getting it now, a lot of females, even males that are going to use you as something in their life to aim toward or to have you as a peer uh, who for you are those important peers that have kind of put you in the place where you are now? Yeah. Um, I have so many, but to sort of like rattle off some like current ones that I'm like very inspired by right now. I mean, Miranda Lambert, she put out a weight of these wings and I think it's incredible. And I've always really in- I, I guess looked up to her in a way because, you know, she's like a fellow Texan and she's just a badass and she is a, an amazing songwriter. And I feel like she's a very you know powerful woman, but she's also not afraid to be vulnerable or sensitive um, and wrong. I, I really like her, um, her writing style. And I love Chris Stapleton. I uh, love Thomas Rhett. I just like, I really, and Sam Hunt. I like people that are not afraid to be different. And whether that's, um, you know, being the bad guy in the song or paying tribute to traditions of the past sounds in country or paving the way for the new sound um, because it's ever changing. I'm inspired by artists that are not copies of other people. Do you ever get into a room and write with someone and you're like, I can't believe I'm writing with this person. Like, this is what, what planet am I on? Yeah, I've had a bunch of those experiences just as a songwriter, a young songwriter, because I'd never really had any radio success as a songwriter um, until my church, and that was obviously my own song. But um, I got into rooms with like some really amazing people, and um, I remember like the biggest artist I got to write with was Carrie Underwood, and that was like two and a half or three years ago. And I, I would be surprised if she even remembers it because it was so long ago and she was writing so much for that Storyteller album. Um, and then she uh, she invited me to come out to her writing cabin. And I was so scared because I had never written with an artist that gigantic before. And I was just like, I don't even know the drill, honestly. Like, I've written a ton of songs, <laughs> but I don't, I don't... And I've listened to her music, so I feel like I have a gist on, you know, what she, what she wants to say, but I, I definitely was sweaty palmed meeting her (laughs) because that was the first time I met her was to write. She's pretty disarming though. 
Yeah. And I've I mean, gotten a chance to get to know Carrie pretty well over the last. At first, you're kind of she's intimidating because she's very quiet. Yeah. And you're like, oh, is she mad? Does she not like me? <laughs> but then you realize she's just soft until she's not, and then she's just awesome. Yeah. Uh, but she can be intimidating for a second. Well, yeah, it's intimidating because I mean, she's. I feel like she's always been famous. And it's like from American Idol to Jesus Take the Wheel to now. There's really, she's never had a downswing in her career, really. Um, So yeah, you walk in and you're like, oh my gosh, this is like the Carrie Underwood. And I had been around so many artists as a writer, but you still get like sort of jarred when you see people in person. Uh, But like after a few seconds, you know, she like the ice was broken and she had a ton of great titles and ideas and we wrote two songs that day. And, um, yeah, I, that was one of the first, like, whoa, I'm like in the room with this person. Were you eating off of songwriting at that point? Like you're paying your bills and, and groceries because you're writing songs. Yeah. Um, that was, I'm still in my first publishing deal. This is my last year before that option. But, um, yeah, that was like the first year I had my publishing deal. So I was like, you know, not banking by any means, but definitely living off of the songwriter draw. I have a lot of songwriters that come to the house too. And we talk and, uh, Lee Thomas Miller, who's one of my dear friends came and we talked for an hour and a half or so. And he said to him and Chris Stapleton, every other Wednesday for three years wrote together Hmm. for three years, every other Wednesday, they just went and wrote. And that was just their thing. Do you have any friends, partners like that that you write with on a regular basis that you're like, Hey, we we just have to stay and, kind of get into a groove and, and stay in a groove or you call and you're like, I have something, you know, yeah. you're kind of my, my partner in writing. Yeah. I have a few people like that because, um, I don't know. I, I feel like Nashville is so rich in that way. I mean, you can have a, a writing partner, but in Nashville, it's so collaborative that you, you really do write with so many people that are your favorites. So, um, Busby is a big one for me. He uh, really just pulled something out of me that I didn't even know was there uh, when we started writing for Hero. You know, back then I didn't realize we were writing for my future record. But, um, yeah, he's incredible because he's just like a freak of nature when it comes to music. And uh, he's an incredible, like, soulful singer and piano player. And, um, yeah, so he – and he's just the best. I feel like he – we're sort of like an old married couple when we write, like it's just the two of us and we'll like start something and we won't talk for the next like three or four hours. He'll start working on some like beat or track and building that. And then I'll be working on the lyric and melody in my head, you know, with my laptop in the corner. And then like three hours later, he'll turn around from his console and be like, are you ready to sing? And I'll be like, I guess I go up to the microphone and then, you know, 80s Mercedes and that's sort so of that's a that... song from you two that where that happened where you guys yeah. just sat and yeah it kind of came together that way yeah and um doesn't he have like a weird like back shed yeah like Busby like where you work out of it and it's kind of his little space yeah you walk out through his backyard and it's very quaint and it's just like a little shed and that's where we wrote 80s um and then he is based in LA so he has a Nashville and an LA house but we wrote My Church and How It's Done and Once, for the record, um, out in L.A. He worked with Keith a lot, too. Yeah. Which it, all my worlds collide because Keith's actually a friend of mine. Yeah. And, and you went on tour with Keith. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I was watching your Snapchat. And it ended up getting picked up by the blogs. But it looked like a Batmobile that he sent you. 
Yeah. I, I don't know that it was actually a Batmobile, but just like a crazy car as a tour. What was that? It's an auto cycle. Um, it, <laughs> yeah, you're telling me. I didn't know what it was either because I, I thought he was kidding. Um, it's a Polaris slingshot. Where are you supposed to park that? That's like giving someone a dog. Like, right. I just sent you, here, here's your gift. Yeah. Here's a Dalmatian. You're like, well, it's really cool, but what do I do with it? Yeah, exactly. It was one of those, like, in, just insanely generous gifts where you're like, oh, crap. Like, I don't have a compound to put this on. Like, I don't have um, a, a garage. Like, I live in East Nashville, like Inglewood. <laughs> so I was trying to picture that parked in the, the driveway there. but um, <laughs> Then everyone knows where you live, too, because exactly. they know Marin's got the Batmobile. That's exactly. Like- yeah. Do you want to go see where Marin lives? Just check out the three-year-old motorcycle in the, the driveway. Um, yeah, it was so funny the way he, like, presented it, too. He, like, handed me this rolled-up piece of paper and um, <clears throat> a really sweet note on the last day of the tour, which we were in Brooklyn. And he was like, thank you so much for being out here and... Um, He's just like the nicest guy and he, he like had this rolled up piece of paper and it had like a ribbon around it and I took the ribbon off and like unrolled it and it's a picture of this slingshot car thing and um, I was really confused because I was like, oh, maybe he got me like a ride in this thing. <laughs> like I go to a It's like a, a segue facility. tour. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Take this slingshot tour around Nashville. Um, and he's like, have you ever been in a slingshot? I can't do an Australian accent. <laughs> but I was like, what? He's like, have you ever ridden in one of these things? And I was like, no. Why? How would I? Why would I? Um, and I was like, wait, you're giving this to me? And he's like, yeah, I got you and Brett one. <laughs> and I was just in shock. Like, I've never gotten anything um, at that magnitude. I mean, it's just insane and so generous. And we definitely had a ball with it around or on Christmas Day with my my family. Where is it now? It's in Texas. Okay. So Ryan, it has room. It's like the dog you gave it a field to run in. Right. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Ryan and I hauled it down to Texas for Christmas, and um, my dad is basically helping store it <laughs> slash using it. Um, yeah, he was freaking out that he gets to take care of that thing. Just a, a sidebar on Keith. Like, really? And, and this is a showbiz town as much as Los Angeles is. I mean, it really is a showbiz town. But Keith is as, as nice and as genuine, even more so than he seems on TV or radio or anywhere else. Yeah, he is. And he's another one of those people that's, like, really jarring to meet in person because, you know, I've been listening to Keith's records, you know, since, you know, golden road since before that album actually like blacktop ends that kind of stuff and so when he called me about the tour and then i met him to announce the tour with brett and yeah it's just insane how authentic he is and that famous and that the 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 weird there's like famous and then there's like that kind of famous where you are known by most of the world we were in – my girlfriend and I went to Australia, and I, I was never going to tell the story, and then he kind of busted my, my balls for not telling it <laughs> because I was, giving, I was kind of making fun of Sydney a bit. And we were in Sydney uh, this last vacation, and we went for Christmas, and I'd never been to Australia. And so we go, and he was in Sydney. He texted me. He goes, hey, are you here? And I was like, hey, so, hey come over to the house. We're having a Christmas party. 
I don't want to go over to someone's house on Christmas. I, I'm just not someone who goes into people's space anyway. Yeah. I like to stay out. I just don't like to impose more than anything. And I'm like, I really appreciate it, but I'm not. And I know he's genuine because he's just a good dude. Yeah. The next day he texts me again. He goes, hey, you have to come over. We're having, Nicole and I are having a Christmas party. Come over to the house. And so we're in Australia. Keith Urban has Lindsay and myself. And we go over and there's a big his dinner and it's like Nicole's mom and his mom and family. And I'm telling you, we could have been a cousin or something. He just <laughs> sat down with us and we just all talked for like an hour. And it was just like the most, and I'm not normal because I'm just kind of a peculiar guy. It was just like a, a real nice human thing that I don't think people think rich, famous people are anymore. Right. And he is. Yeah. I think, um, like being like a family man and just his connection with his fans. And I don't know, I sort of saw behind the scenes, like the way he takes care of his crew and, um, he like got his production manager. Baja is his nickname. And he's like 70 years old and he's loud and hilarious and always took care of us. Keith got him like the Segway five years ago and he would always just like drive it around. And, uh, you see like, what he does for his crew that have been with him and are loyal to him. And there's just like this unspoken bond between everybody that respects him. And, uh, yeah, it's just like, it it sounds like he's the best boss to work for. And it's because he, he really cares about these people. And there's a lot of people. I'd asked him, I said, Hey, what's the deal with country music in Australia? And he goes, it's nowhere. It doesn't exist. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, it's like jazz in America. You have to go to the AM dial and hopefully you find some. And it's like, man, we don't own it. I was like, well, how did you get played? He goes, I don't. It's just I'm cool in America to some people, so now I'm cool over here. Oh, wow. But he, he was like, yeah, I don't get played anywhere. He said it, it was exciting to him because him and Carrie's song, The Fighter, yeah. had just started getting played on like pop and AC stations. And he was like, it's great, mate. It's, you know, <laughs> and so it was cool <laughs> to kind of see him think something was cool again. Yeah, that's so crazy. That's you go a cool out, thing then, in your career, like. That tour for you, though, with Keith, though, he, you really didn't have anything out. He just heard some stuff, right? Yeah. Very early on, he um, pulled the trigger. And he, I think his manager sent me or sent him a couple of my songs. And they, were, they weren't even on iTunes yet. They were just, like, floating around. And Keith heard My Church in 80s. And I think it was probably the EP. And he called his manager. And he's like, can we get this girl for the tour and um, and he was like, who wrote these songs? And they're like, she did. And so he was like, okay, yeah, we need to get this this girl out here. And, um, yeah, that phone call was crazy because I was like, okay, I'll just, like, you know, put a, a single out and, you know, hope, hopefully it goes up the chart. And then to have that insurance of being on a tour later in the year, um, it just it, – it made everything – fall into place so well and so much easier and I feel like he just really he saw something in me so early on before everyone like jumped in and I feel like you know that's a gigantic risk to bring out a brand new artist who's never toured before um what a tour for your first tour I know yeah exactly (laughs) I feel kind of spoiled it's like okay we're just going right up here to Keith Urban Um, but I learned so much. It's like I had 25 minutes to really make an impact on his crowd. And I feel like from the first show to the 60th show, because it was a long tour, I got so much more comfortable on stage. 
I have more fun now on stage. And he kind of set the parameters for me to achieve that. And I feel like, yeah, I just have so much more of a blast on stage now because I'm not afraid of it. And I can walk out in front of 20,000 people and not, I mean, I'm still nervous, but (laughs) I'm not as nervous. So it feels like the last six months, you know, you're out and you're on TV and you're doing interviews. So that's the part that we've known of you is the last six months to year. But I don't have any idea how you grew up. Like, I don't know, like you're five, six years old. What's, what's the house like? Um, you know, my parents were like working middle class. They own a small hair salon in Arlington, Texas. Yeah. Yep. My mom still stands behind the chair and cuts hair. Is she extra cool now? (laughs) Like to her clients? To everyone. Yeah. I, I think they're going to be okay. Um, yeah, I, I think like they sort of caught a second wind in life. It was like, they've supported me for so long and then all this stuff to be happening now. Um, yeah, they, I mean, they just couldn't be prouder and they were at the CMAs and they're going to come to the Grammys. They're just freaking out about everything as parents do. And, um, but yeah, they, they still work and they come out to everything that they can. And, uh, yeah, I just grew up in a home where it was like, my parents weren't, they didn't, my mom liked to sing karaoke. She would like win karaoke contests at bars. My dad Did you think that was sing. cool though? When your mom would win karaoke contests? No, like, I, didn't, oh, you did. I didn't think that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of do now at the time. I was like, mom, come on. Don't sing. What was she saying? She would sing like four non blondes. Like what's up? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was a big one. She loved Dixie chicks sin wagon, which like a mom singing that. Ugh, it's just, yeah. But she loves it, and I think like I, I would watch her, and I'd be like, okay, if if you are having this much fun, what am I missing out on? And um, I think I was like eight or nine, and I like started to sing too, and um, my dad bought me a, uh, an Ibanez acoustic guitar when I was 12, and I think that's just like where it all really cultivated. It was like, okay, I have always loved to write in school. Like I was terrible at math and science and but I was always really good at English and history and creative writing and so I think it just naturally was like oh I'll just put these lyrics to this like two chords I know and then it was a song and not a good one but it was like a start so um but my parents never had like a second guess about um me doing this it wasn't like well okay this is like a cute hobby for now we'll just take you to these Opry's and talent shows but then eventually like you're gonna go to college right like they never said that they were always just like 100 percent on board from the get-go which is you know i think what kept me going Marin morris is here uh, blue apron is a sponsor let's talk about them for a second so not all ingredients are created equal fresh high quality ingredients make a real difference so it's important to know where your food comes from and what i have here it's Blue Apron. I get it at my house. It's affordable. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients, making delicious home-cooked meals. There's a lot of variety you can choose from each recipe each week. Lots of recipes. Flexible, easy, guaranteed, and they promise that every ingredient delivers ready to cook or they'll make it right. They're not going to need to make it right because you're going to love it. It's going to come and it's going to be pre-portioned automatically. There's going to be a card that tells you how to make it. And you are going to look like a culinary genius. Check out this week's menu and your first three meals for free with free shipping. BlueApron.com slash Bobby. 
You will love how good it feels, tastes, and you'll create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. BlueApron.com slash Bobby. Use it here at the house. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. First three meals, BlueApron.com slash Bobby. All right, so we're back here, and I guess we're talking about your parents, and they give you a guitar. Do you take lessons? Do you buy a chord sheet from Walmart? Like, what's what's the Marin Morris School of Learning Music? <laughs> Yeah, my dad bought me like a chord book where you could like look the pictures and I would I took a, a couple lessons but I just um was super lazy. I didn't like I didn't like anyone teaching me how to play guitar. I was like, this is a feel thing. <laughs> <laughs> so of course I can't read music because I didn't stick with the lessons, but I get by enough on guitar to like to write songs. But I'm in no way John Osborne. So but by the way, it is such a good guitar player. Yeah, he is. And he's people don't know best. that yet um, that, that aren't inside, but he's the best. Yeah, he is. There's an eight-minute solo at the end of their first single. It, it ended up you know, not being on the radio for eight minutes. He plays an eight-minute guitar solo <laughs> on the end of uh, – what what's their first song? Um, it um, wasn't Rum. No, it was, it was their second song. Rum was their first. They're, first, they're number one. Oh, uh, Stay a oh yeah, Stay yeah. A okay, Stay a little gotcha. longer. He plays an eight-minute solo. Oh, yeah. Duh. Yeah, Stay a Little Longer. And, him, and it's so good, too. And I've been, you know, I have just I have a few personal friends, and him and Lucy Silva's are like dear friends of mine. Mm -hmm. Lucy's just the, she's, I think, my only close friend I haven't had in here yet, because with my close friends, I'm always like, ooh, let's just... Let's just hold off a bit. Yeah. But it's such a talented and nice oh, I can't wait for group, that interview. group of folks. Yeah. Like John and, and Lucy. Lucy, I went and the other night I said, hey. And for those who don't know Lucy, she, um, she's New Zealand slash British slash American. Just but awesome. All the Her way mom's awesome. mom's like Scottish. Yeah. yeah she, she's she's all in. over. And I was like, hey, Lucy, how big were you in the UK? And she goes, well, I sold a million records. And I was like. Really? She goes, yeah, I sold a million records and, you know, didn't walk out. And, and I said, what was the big song? And she said, well, I did Metallica. Um, it was a huge cover of a Metallica song with a full orchestra. And I came back and I Googled it and I was like, holy crap. It nothing was like else this, matters. Nothing else matters. This full orchestral Metallica song. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. It is sort of a double life that she's led. Yeah. I, yeah. I, please talk to her. I feel like I, I know her story, but I think you will bring something out that I'll be like, holy F, like, that happened too? She's like, Bobby, Bobby, why do you ask me this Bobby all the time? She, <laughs> yeah, she's... She, she's sung with, like, Lionel Richie. Like, there's all these, like... She's so humble. It's annoying. But you... It's not annoying. It's like, she means it. She And she's so nice that you're like, okay, you're not bragging or humble bragging. Because no. she, was, she was telling a story about Elton John. She was like, she was playing with Daniel Bedingfield. I don't know if you know who Daniel Bedingfield is. Oh, yeah. Gotta get through this. I gotta make, gotta make I it. I like gotta his make ballad. It oh, uh... If you're not the, the one. one, yeah, that one. She was like, I was. Da, da, da. She was playing keys with Daniel Bedingfield for Elton John, and it was just like in passing conversation. And I was like, <laughs> Hold on a minute. <laughs> uh, by Elton John, I guess called you too. It reminds me. He yeah, called, that was a good segue. When did he? So what was that? What was that about? Um. Yeah. Okay. So this that happened a few months ago or several months ago, and I um was randomly like at home for a few days stretch in Nashville. And I was just doing my laundry one day at the house and Ryan, I had no witnesses to this phone call because he was out on the front porch talking to someone on the phone. And so I'm just like in my house doing laundry and I had come back to my phone that was on silent and I had two missed calls from like a South London number. Cause you know, on an iPhone, it tells you 
where it's from. And I was like, that's weird. I don't know anyone over there that would be calling me at this time of day. And um, my manager texted me like two seconds later and I could not believe it. But she was like, Elton John is trying to reach you. Uh, And I was like, oh, my God, I just missed two phone calls from Elton John. Like, what do I do? Like, do I call this number back? (laughs) I'm just like, I don't even know the protocol. Like, what do you do? And she was like, hold on, let me get in touch with his publicist or something, whatever happens. And um, he called back and it was like an unknown number now. And um, (laughs) so his real number. It must have been. He used his real number a third time. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Is that what that means? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I answered because... I knew who it was, and um, he's like, hey, is this Marin? And I was like, oh, my God, I don't know what to... Okay, yes, it is. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he's like, oh, cool, this is Elton. <laughs> like, no last name. He's like, you know I'm calling. And <laughs> I was like, oh, hi. Hello, how are you? And he was like, oh, I'm good, just at the studio. And I don't know, I just wanted to get in touch with you to say that I, I got your record. I have it on vinyl. We were listening to it at the the studio the other night and wow, that's I, I crazy, love right? I love your songs and yeah and so I feel like okay I'm living out some sort of fever dream or something I'm I'm sick I think I I've it happened I lost my mind you're and, on peyote um, at this point yeah I'm like on mescaline full fledged <laughs> in the desert and um yeah I, I but it sunk in and I was like I was trying to find a response and I was just like, oh, wow, thank you. That's so cool. Um, I'm obviously a huge fan. It's like, okay, why do I even go through the semantics of, you know, trying to be cool? It's like, uh, you're Elton John. So um, that's a huge honor. And it was so wa- random too, because I had just been listening to his music like a few days prior, just randomly in my iPhone to have him call me a couple days later, I was like, okay, this guy is across the world and he's in pop music and he's a legend. How, what I wish I had asked him was like, how did you find my music? And I'll never know unless I meet him again or something or meet him. But I, I, I don't know how he found my album, but he had it on vinyl. So there had to have been like some sort of like exchange or like someone gave it to him. I don't know, but how do you end the call with Elton John, and who ends it? And do you is there a point where you're like, I don't want to talk too long because then Elton thinks I'm just a loser, I won't hang up. Right, yeah. Or I just didn't want it to ever be awkward. I was like, this can be the shortest phone call, that's fine. Um, but I was trying to like get outside so I could put it on speaker so Ryan could hear it. <laughs> and of course, like Elton's like, oh, cool, well, cheers, love. It was so good to talk to you. Hopefully I, I see you in the future. Bye. And then like <laughs> I open the door and... Ryan's like, everything okay? And I was like, no! No one heard this. No one witnessed it. Um, But yeah, Elton John called me. That was pretty freaking crazy. When you make a record like Hero, which now, as you look back at it in all its pieces, and I enjoy a record. I enjoy an album. Mm -hmm. And when I heard it at first, it, it, it came to me as, wow, this is a bold record. Now, because it's so big, and you know how it is, bold things become a norm Mm -hmm. once they become huge in popularity. Right. Did you feel like, okay, I'm taking such an artistic leap with this that it's either going to just thrive or the world's not ready for me right now? Because Hero was a bold record from the songs, the sound, the textures, all for country radio. Yeah. I, You know, I, I sort of look at the artists that have... I don't know, just 
slowly chiseled away at a path where I could come in and do something all of my own. And so I felt like there were elements of this record that were reaching like, okay, this is, I, I was pretty strategic, but still like emotional in the way that I structured the album and which songs I picked. And, you know, it's like, there is a part of your brain that's like, okay, the set list, like the, the track listing, how is this going to work? And the songs that are maybe less country, like, I have to balance it with something that is going to be palatable. And it's, it's like your first album is, is so important because it really is the first impression. And I, I just felt like, yeah, this, this album is definitely, uh, very edgy and has, you know, the word shit all over it. I don't know if I can cuss on this podcast. There are no FCC regulations. Okay, Um, yeah, I mean, there's like cursing and there's, there's, you know, talk of like sex and there, I don't know. It was just like so many elements that I, you know, I sort of laid awake at night and I was like, maybe this is not ready. Like people aren't ready for this. But then I realized I was like, I can't think that way because I, I think about like Miranda and I think about Sam and, you know, Sam Hunt has had some major freaking radio success and he's gotten like knocked against by people who are like leading the charge for the whole like traditional country sound. But he proved them all wrong because that record was massively successful and it was him. And, you know, he's it's so weird that people I, I hate to like uh, branch off for a second, but it's it's strange that people are constantly comparing new albums to like the past because I don't know. I just, I never listen to music that way where I listen to like a pop song and I'm like, you go, well, this is not like Mambo number five. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, back in our day, Chumbawamba <laughs> sounded much better than this. You know? Yeah. Oh my God. In this format, yeah, exactly. It, it, it's yeah. really annoying. And I constantly fight with people to go, well, that's not country because I've been lucky enough to be able to talk to everyone from, Merle Haggard to Garth Brooks to the guys to today. And you know what they all say? They were all told what they did did not fit right then. Every freaking one of them. Yeah. Every one of them was told what all these dicks on all these blogs say constantly. Oh, that's not country. No one has the authority to tell someone what something creative is. Yeah. I mean, I think there's historical significance in the roots of country music but i think the roots of it have always been the same and continue to be the same they're rooted in honesty and truth and saying it like it is and real life situations and heart and lyrical value and i i think you know that's in a lot of genres but i feel like country music is uh known for that and really created that that realm. And so whether you put a synthesizer on a song or a beat or whatever, it's like, okay, well, Sam Hunt is, you could compare him to like Conway Twitty and the, or, con, the, or even to Johnny Cash who would talk and play quote rock devil rock and roll. My right. girl, he's from Arkansas, from Arkansas. Yeah. My girl wants to people would protest him because of right. the devil's rock and roll that he would play. Patsy Cline considered Walking After Midnight a little old pop song. That's what she called it. She thought that was pop back then. So you think about today and it's like, okay, well, there's always going to be, you know, the the nights uh, of traditional 
country music values. But I think at the end of the day, it's like people want to people respond to music that's good and that moves them. So that's what kept me uh, confident and hero coming out. So if hero would have failed, you would have blank. (laughs) I would have kept writing. Yeah. I, I don't think anything would have changed. Honestly, I think it would have, I believe I would have been discouraged, but I think I, I would have kept writing. I would have kept going because I'd be like, I loved this record and I'm proud of it no matter what, um, whether it wins an award or someone says it's a disgrace to country music. Um, I I loved it and I have seen so much more of the world now, um, since putting the album out and I feel like people are, I don't know, they're, they're more vocal about their love of country or maybe if they weren't a country fan, hero turned them on to country. And that's like a huge honor because, uh, it is a cool sort of like gateway drug in a way. It's like, okay, well, there are so many elements of country on my album, but you can also find R&B and classic soul and rock and pop, so many elements, but it's all rooted in the same thing. It's rooted in honesty and that like country lyric structure where everything's like airtight and the rhymes are on top of each other. And I don't know, It's it's been cool to see uh, different age generations connect to that album because it, it really is um, an album for everyone. It, it, there's there's no song alike, and I don't know. I'm I'm really proud of it, and I'm glad that people are are liking it too. This is my jam right here. So this is Rich, and I'll tell you why it's my jam, and I'll have you talk about it. I actually, the personal story, so I, I, I'm on the road basically every weekend. And so, um, I was. by the way, I'm glad you got here when you did. I was pack, I don't know if you're anal about packing like me. Like, I have to go through and make sure I have every piece of clothing for every available. Like, okay, daytime I'm wearing this. In the evening I'll wear this. Then I'll change into this. And I have to go through all of these little clothing changes in my head. Do you do you this? You can do that every week. Oh, no, I'm, I'm a terrible packer. Oh, I have to now. pack. And then I, have to, then I go through it, pull everything back out, and count it all back in. I'm so OCD about everything. Yeah, but at least you don't have to stress out about it once you're And then there. I get up forget some a sock or something. <laughs> but I play this, and the reason I bring it up is so I have two uh, stand-up comedy shows this weekend. And this is the song that I play before I go out on stage. You do? Yeah, and so I play Rich. So tell me about the song, Where Were You, Who, uh, Concept. Like, Give me the whole deal here. Um, I was here in Nashville. I was at my publisher, um, Big Yellow Dog, and uh, with Jesse Joe Dillon and Laura Belts. And Jesse Joe had told me this title like a week prior. We were at Winners um, in Midtown. And she was, she's such an amazing writer, but she brought that title as a sad song. She was like, God, if I just want to write it, you know, Marin, like if, you, if I had a, a dollar for every time you screwed me over or broke my heart, I'd be rich. And I was like, damn, like that's really good. But then we got into the room that day with Laura and it was like, I don't think this is a sad song. I think it's like a, a F you song. And so we just started with this like guitar riff and Laura was playing and, um, I was trying to play and we just started like, I guess adding all these crazy examples. And then we got to the second verse and I was just threw out jokingly. I was like, 
If I had a dime every time you crossed my mind, I'd probably be sitting on a big ass pile of dimes. And I was kidding, but then they were like, I think we should keep that because that's just <laughs> funny. And um, so we did. It's like whatever line, whether it's stupid or not, if you throw it out, like nothing's stupid. That's what I've sort of learned except for what I just did. Drop the mic. Um, yeah, I, I feel like you just have to like put it out there and then you can decide if it's not going to work or not. But I uh, like to dare to be stupid in the writing room. But yeah, we kept that line in and... I don't know. It's one of my favorites on the album, too, and favorites live because it's just... Does the crowd sing that one back? Yeah. Yeah. The girls... I feel like young girls really, really and me. love that song. Young girls and me, and we eat it up. <laughs> you have a song that's just come out of you? Like, like some artists will come in and go, hey, you know what? The song, it's, it came at 15 minutes. Like, the song was there, and I couldn't believe it. Do you have any of those? Um, yeah, I could use a love song was sort of like that. Um, in my church, we wrote really quick, too. But I could use a love song... Um, we wrote in the morning. <laughs> it's a, a long story, but it was like after a couple of drinks. We in were the all, morning. Yeah. We yeah. were all having like a really crap day. And uh, Laura Veltz had just gotten a ticket. Jimmy Robbins, something had happened. And then I had had a weird start to the morning. And we get there and we're all just like really dejected. And we're like, how, how are we going to write a song? And Laura's like, do y'all want to walk to Losers? <laughs> and so... I was, it was 11 o'clock and I was like, maybe. And we all were on board and we went over and we had like one drink and walked back and I had most of hero already done. And then Jimmy was like, do you have any, like, what are you missing off the album? Which is like the weirdest question to get from people. It's like, I don't know. Um, I, I'll know it when I hear it, I guess. And, um, I was like, it's weird. This whole song like doesn't have any love songs on it. It's like the first record I've heard in a while that doesn't. And Jimmy's like, oh, but you could, you could use a love song though, right? And uh, Laura like jotted down that as a title, but it was just in conversation. Like, oh, but you could use a love song on the on the album. And uh, so yeah, we went back, and she was like, I think we should just write a song called "I Could Use a Love Song," and we. I don't know, like the, the sky opened up that day and maybe it was because our filters had been drunk away, <laughs> but we just like poured through that song and had the demo done within like an hour and a half. I'm play this for you. Tell me, tell me about this song right here. Better days. Man is hunched over in her chair right now. Is this your silver bullet for the interview? I don't have bullets. Oh my god. So, so it's called Better Days. Wow. Tell me about this. Where did you find that? Don't worry about where I found stuff. I got I was I got 13. Lots. Yeah. Oh my god. You were, you were 13? It's this? Yeah. Let me hear this in. No! Hold don't on. replay it. I can hear that 13-year-old pain. Oh, Seventh grade. All right, tell me about, did you write Better Days? I wrote it with my mom, actually. Really? Yeah, we used to write back then. Uh, oh, my God. I feel like my face is so hot right now. Um, I'm trying to remember back that far. I mean, that was like so long ago. I'm trying to remember. Where were you playing we that at? 
bars? Yeah. And, and how are you getting into bars? Because your mom was like, hey, she's cool. She's with me. She's cool. I'm the karaoke champion. She's with me. <laughs> um, no, I mean, in Texas, it's weird. I mean, you might know this. Like, if you are a kid and you have your parents with you. You can drink. <laughs> yeah, you can drink. No, you but, literally can drink. And you can be in the bar. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't drink, but I would definitely, I was able to play these shows in these, you know, gritty honky tonks because my parents were there. Um, and they were my managers, so they were um, driving me to and fro from all these gigs. But yeah, at 13, when that gem of a song was written, I was playing in like the White Elephant Saloon and like the crap stage outside of Billy Bob's. <laughs> and I don't know. I've, I've been doing this so long. I, I make my sound, myself sound so old, but I really have been uh, hustling in bars and honky tonks since I was 12. Here's a song called Walk On. Okay. Can we just play all my demos instead? How old are you with this one? About the same age? Yeah, same But there's something there. Like, you know, it always, I'm always like, oh, I don't like to hear stuff either from when I was 6, 17 on the radio. It's I'm like, like the like, yearbook picture. Yeah. But, but do you hear it? Like, do you hear something there in that 13-year-old voice? I think I was a little more nasally with my I'm not even voice. talking voice. Let's let's just not, like talent wise, like with like something there. Something there that's inherent. <laughs> Do you hear something inherently in that? Yeah, I mean I've always I've always loved music and I've loved performing and writing songs. So I think, you know, I try to think back to what my parents were thinking at the time because they're obviously biased. It's like those parents that have talented kids, quote unquote. It's like, well, you are their parents, so how do you really know? But then I'm trying to like look back at my parents and like for them to put aside that parental love and be like, okay, can she actually do this? Is she even like emotionally emotionally capable to play these bars and shit? Like, I. <laughs> Did I they think have they a believed. talk with you? Like, okay, you're going to play these bars, and they're going to be a lot of rowdy, drunk people. Or is it just like, all right, Marin, just go, and we'll watch? Yeah, I mean, they, they, I never played anywhere too seedy where it was, like, dangerous to be in there. They certainly would not have um, taken me to a bar like that. But I, I grew up around adults and, like, people drinking and smoking inside, and you can still do that in Texas. And... Like, I grew up in that environment. So by the time I turned 21, it was, like, not cool that you could drink. Um, yeah, but, I yeah, they definitely the whole time saw something in me. And I don't know. I mean, you're you're talking about, like, the 13-year-old self. Like, Were you cool how, at how, 13 to your friends? Because you, you were singing and playing. And regardless of where you were singing or playing, you were still singing and playing. Yeah. Yeah, they, they were all so excited. They'd come to my shows, which the ones they could get into. Um, but yeah, it was weird. I went to like a public high school and on the weekends I would go do these shows around Texas. Two talent shows and stuff at school? I never did a talent show. I, I was in musical theater, so I did all the musicals. And um, Like which ones? Because I, I, I'm a little theater guy myself. You are? Yeah, I did Grease. I was Danny Zuko in Grease. Wow, that's a big one. It was awesome. I love yeah. Grease. And I like to dance. So We need to find that footage. And I'll, it exists. Uh, I would like that revenge And then you can play you it now. all back well, from your key screen <laughs> as your silver bullet. Perfect. So, so what did you do? So uh, theater-wise, what was your favorites? I did um, – my first one was when I was a freshman, and it was uh, – 
Seussical the Musical. Oh, okay. Dr. Seuss. Yes. Yeah. And I played um, a little boy. <laughs> so that was my first one. And then um, I did Little Shop of Horrors. I did Little Shop of Horrors. Who were you in it? I was Seymour. I was Audrey. That's so funny. And the- Feed me Seymour. <laughs> Suddenly yeah. Seymour. That's so funny. Oh, my God. That's yeah, crazy. I, I did Grease. I did uh, Little Shop of Horrors Love in uh, my junior year and Grease my senior year. I did Little Shop my junior year. And that was like... Like the, it was so dark for high school. Yeah. I'm actually really surprised my high school allowed that. I don't think we got happen. it though. Like I don't. I, I think the movie was out, and we were, the movie was before me too. Like with Rick Moranis and stuff. Yeah. But I think it made it so safe because he was so safe that everyone yeah, just like, kind of lost it. I look back on it now. I'm like, oh my god. Like in the movie and the play, like I have to be hit. Yeah. Not like for real, but like. She's in a, an abusive relationship, and there's like all these like dark sex jokes. And I was like, if I was a parent in the crowd, I'd be like, who okayed this? This is like way too advanced for high school kids. But we didn't. You're right. We didn't get it. We didn't get it at all. It was almost it was the SpongeBob effect of plays. Like the kids don't get the adult jokes in SpongeBob. Right. I just thought it was freaking talking to a plant, and you know. <laughs> But that, that's so – yeah, it's I was, just I was magical for sure. plant. A little shop of horror. That's funny. <laughs> uh, tell me about this. Uh, all That It Takes. So that it takes. A little older here? Uh, yeah. No, I was actually – oh, yeah. I was 17. This was my um, number one in Texas. So that it takes. Yeah. When you get a, a, a number one in Texas, you think, okay, well, all right, Texas, thank you. Now it's time to go and bust out nationally. Like, did you think yeah. it was just going to be like pop, pop, pop? Um, I think, okay, so I was 17, and I, I think at the time I was like, no, now I'm going to be in the big leagues of Texas. <laughs> and I, I didn't have any sites to go to Nashville until I was like, you know, in my early 20s, but I... Yeah, I, I wanted to like tour around Texas and basically headline and, you know, like all the greats down there to me. Like, you know, I loved Wade Bowen and Stoney LaRue and Randy Rogers and uh, Rodney Foster and all those guys. Was um, like Green Hall a cool place for you to play? Yeah, I've played there once and I actually requested on my headline tour that we hit Green Hall. Really? So I'm going to do a Green Hall show, which I'm so excited about. But yeah, that's the coolest venue i feel like in texas it's the oldest dance hall and it's like george straits i mean that's that's yeah. the george strait yeah hey, I, i'm here so place. you were in austin so do you remember um he's still around and i love him but bob schneider oh yeah bob played my show many times yeah, yeah so i um i saw him at green that was like the last show i saw there but i love him um but i'm excited it's sort of full circle to get to play there on my own tour i mean i remember bob when I was in Austin, I was dating Sandra Bullock. Yeah. Because she lived in Austin, too. And yeah, mm-hmm. Bob would come by and play our show all the time. That's crazy that you know. But it's not crazy because we're f- you know, from basically the same right. place. Yeah, I've been a fan of his for over a decade now. He's so I good. think he was a little before his time, frankly. Yeah, and he's one of those where it's like he can do anything. He can do any genre. So I think it's sort of hard to, to find a spot because he is so good at so many. Third album, Born Again. So What's the goal with this record? 
It's funny. It's like born again, and now there's my church. <laughs> um, I was 19, I think. I sound a little more like myself, I feel like. Definitely more country, weirdly. That, like that Texas country, too. I, I think there's some a Texas country in Hero, though. Like, I hear it. I still hear it. Oh, you do? I do. Yeah, I do no hear No one's ever said that to me. I, well, I, I, you know, lived in Texas for a long time. So you know and yeah, I do, that sound. I do hear a little bit of Texas country in Hero. But I hear a lot of things in Hero, yeah. which is what's cool about the record, because every song, there's a little bit of similarity, but there's a lot that's not. Yeah. As you go from track to track, <laughs> if that makes sense at all. Yeah, totally. I have some other audio clips here oh I'd like God. to talk about. Um, okay. uh, no more like that. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, my God. Speaking of Lucy Silva's uh, villain. Yes. Are you familiar with the song? Yes. How so? I wrote it ah, with her. I love this song. Three, two, one, let the bombs go off and the wives kick up cause we've had enough. You wear the crown, be toast to the town and I'll take the fall when the walls come down. Darling, if you're looking, if you're looking, if you're looking for a villain, I'm blessed. She's so good. Man. Yeah. Has she told you the story behind this music video? I've seen the video, the parts of it. What? Tell me. Well, sh- we shot it at an actual prison um, near home. Huntsville. Are you going to call her? Yeah, I'll call her. I, I just came to do like makeup touch-ups. <laughs> this was like a year and a half ago, but we shot it at a, a working prison. And um, yeah, it was pretty crazy to to be... In a prison with with real inmates. Actual people. Yeah, and like Lucy is so beautiful and like her walking past and then I idiotically wore shorts that day and all the guys are like, Woo! Oh, they like, were? Oh, God. This is so, so crazy. Let's see if Lucy answers. <laughs> I think she's in town. I don't know. I don't think we're going to hit it with leave, her. Um, let's leave a message. Hi, this is Lucy. Leave a message and I'll get back to you. The mailbox is full. Oh, <laughs> no. The mailbox is full. Okay, she may call back. Uh, how about <laughs> this song here, Greener Pastures? Yes. What do you know about this one? Uh, Ryan and I wrote this with John and TJ. For this. I'm moving on. Good one. <laughs> you all four of you guys write that, or did you and Ryan write that for those two? Uh, the four of us. Yeah. Yeah. Is that just sitting around? You guys are just like, let's just rock something out. It was weird because like we've been friends with John and TJ for years. We'd never written together, and they'd never been home, honestly. So we had it on the books to write. It was like a for real co-write, and um, I was nervous because like to write with friends is. It, it can go either way. It can either be amazing, which luckily this one turned out to be, or it can be like kind of a downer and it's like, everything's cool, but yeah, let's not do this again. But you know, we, I had that title for years in my phone and no one would write it with me. 
and Ryan will attest to this. Like I, I threw that title at him in rights for like two years straight and no one ever bit at it. And then finally I threw it out the final time at this brothers Osborne co-write. And, um, yeah, I was like, <laughs> I've had this title greener pastures in my phone forever. And I like looked at Ryan <laughs> and, um, I was like, I feel like it could be a cool play on words about like breaking up with someone or them leaving you. And then you just go smoke a joint or something <laughs> like moving on to greener pastures and John and TJ laughed and like loved it. And then John started playing that like riff and, um, yeah, it was like a pretty easy co-write, which I'm astounded at because um, with friends it can be weird. But we, yeah, we had the best time. And then when they played us the recording of it, and Jay Joyce produced it, which I, I love, I love Jay Joyce. Um, I'm a huge Patty Griffin fan, and he did her Flaming Red album, which I love. But he produced that song for John and TJ, and I just like died listening to it, and. Um, it was cool to hear them do it at the Ryman at their show. It was really cool. Man, so much. So uh, I'll ask you this. And when Ryan, by the way, Ryan Hurd was in. You've mentioned him a few times. And I'll do the same thing with you that I did with Ryan. Uh, <laughs> I didn't bring you up until later, but he just kept referencing you. And I felt like, well, if I don't address what you're referencing, people aren't even going to know. Uh, so Ryan Hurd's your boyfriend right now. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm a huge Ryan fan. Yeah. Minus Marin, I'm a huge Ryan fan. Yeah. Like, I, I just, I enjoy him. I enjoy his music. I, I love you know, where he comes from. He just seems like a guy that is, like, into a happy universe, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like, he just seems like a guy that wants peace in the universe. Yeah. And he makes me want to have peace in the universe when, <laughs> like, I'm around him. And so, you guys write a lot together. Do you guys talk about music a lot? I mean, is that really what the, the bond yeah, I mean, that's how we met each other was in a co-write. And um, it was like three and a half, almost four years ago. And we, we'd just been friends for years. And we were both in other relationships. And um, But yeah, I think that was the first um, bond was just, hey, I love writing songs with you. And we got our first cut together with Tim McGraw. And then, yeah, we just asked our publishers to keep putting us on our books. And um yeah, I think, well, it was funny, Brothers Osborne, that was our second, like, actual cut together, but we've had a few placements and stuff on Nashville and whatnot, but at the crux of it, it was like, okay, yes, I love writing songs with you, but, like, after, you know, we sort of started, like, falling for each other and not just, like, in a friendly way, it was like, I don't know, I used to to worry about, oh, like, I always want to be able to write songs with him, that's this relationship but now it's like I don't really care I mean it's cool if we get a a cool song but it's cool to be in a relationship where that's not contingent on it anymore it's like we've written plenty of great songs together and now it's just about our relationship and leaning on each other during the craziest time of our lives like kickstarting our artist careers and yeah, um, he's he's just an incredible person. Like I could probably talk about him for the rest of this podcast, but I won't. I'll um, save you from that. Um, but yeah, he just he really does have a heart of gold. And you're right, where he he lives in this world where um, he's so thoughtful and he really he cares about the energy around him and he cares about like if you're okay and not like in a pressing way. He's just he's always aware of if people are feeling taken care of or not. And um, 
he's like that with really every facet of his career. It's Mike, cool we have another sponsor, Mike. We're good. We're good. All right, cool. <laughs> uh, so let's talk. To, let's go to now. Um, we're just now. It, it's weird, and in a great way. So I, I thought what you said at the CMAs was pretty remarkable and poignant, and such a big stage and such small, awesome words. Where you were like a year ago, I watched this from across the street. I mean, I thought it was just like. I mean, that resonated with me. I'm not even trying to be you, and that resonated with me. I wonder. Like, did you have that ready? Was that I, because I still remember you getting up and saying that and going, Whoa. I mean, that that's the perfect thing to say right there. Like everybody's inspired. I don't care what you're doing, music, life, digging ditches, driving yeah. truck. Like you should, that's inspiring right there. Thank you. So talk about that moment for a second. Well, when I got up there and, um, I'd been thinking about that all night. Like, I didn't think I was going to be able to accept an award that night, but I was thinking just to myself, like, in a personal way. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I didn't even think I was going to get an invitation to the CMAs this year, let alone be nominated. And, um, yeah, I was just thinking, like, wow, I sat across the street from Bridgestone a year ago um, with friends, and we got dressed up and went to the Palm Bar and just watched on TV and watched people like Chris Stapleton's life change with one performance. And yeah, that had been kind of rattling around my mind all day, really. But when I got up there, I was so like overcome with emotion. And I like laugh and cry watching the footage back because I brought my purse up on stage with me, like my clutch. I should have just like left it. And I'm trying to open it because I had a note card inside with people Lucy, I hate Lucy's, calling? Lucy's calling oh she's calling we're right, we're right in the middle of okay this. hello Lucy hello. Hey, hey I'm with Marin right now and so you're, you're on record so don't say anything that you wouldn't want out there don't talk shit about me yeah <laughs> oh you're in, you're in a bad place Lucy you're cutting out where are you oh no I'm in the studio oh, oh, okay 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 hang on I'm going I'm just going to a bit um, <laughs> I don't even know what she I can yes, yeah. I can hear. That doesn't mean I know what you're saying, but I can hear you now perfectly. <laughs> it's best you don't. So okay, hang on, wait a minute. We're uh, okay, can you, is that better? Yeah, we got you. We're talking about you, and so you don't know what we're talking about. So it's good that you're kind of hopping in. Oh, uh, <laughs> how would you describe Marin as a friend? <laughs> <laughs> um, we have so much history and so many stories that I have many ways. But the first thing that comes to my mind is that. I don't know. She's so, she's so sweet. She has like a little giggle that she giggles at things and it just makes her horrible. Um, but I don't know as a friend, uh, opposed to just a person in general, I'd say, um, she's got a lot of empathy for the people around her. Um, I've always thought she's been there for some of the most important, probably the most important time in my life, which is the day I got married. I was John's Um, best man. So, oh, she said she was John's best man. That's, I didn't know she that. She was John's best man, yes. <laughs> and she, you know, I, I think she's just one of these people that um, um, I just, she's got um, a mystery around her, but as a friend, she's never, she's, she, I always feel like she's there for me. I can tell her things. I don't, and that's, you don't have that with everybody, with friends. You're always, some friends, you have to think, I'm going to filter that out because I don't want to tell them that, but I don't feel like that was Marin. 
Aww. She knows all my deepest, darkest secrets. <laughs> and now, Lucy, how am I as a friend? <laughs> You're awful. No, I'm kidding. No, um, no, you, well, it's so far, you've been great. You tell the truth, which I like. Well, so, thank you. Hey, well, no. we, I, I feel like, Lucy, we do these shows and you come up in every one of them. One, because I'm, really? I'm just, yes, oh it, it's like the fourth one that you've come up. So now Aww. we've got to make a point to get you, to get you up here. But yeah, I want to hear so that. Sweet. Yeah. Thank you. Well, are you, are you recording you. right now? Um, I'm actually just doing vocals on a song that I wrote with Ryan Beaver. And so I'm like, nice. I love Ryan. Best day, the best day ever listening to his voice. And I'm very excited to just go home and sit on my my porch for the rest of the night and do nothing. But I'm about I'm to do that too. I wish, wish I was with you guys. Well, thank you for calling me back, Lucy. Talk to you soon. I love you. Love you guys. Bye. Bye. Lucy showed up at um, our show a couple nights ago with Ted Danson. Mm. And she was like, hey, because she, uh, she writes with Ted's wife, Mary. Yeah. And so Ted Danson shows up. And, I, you know, when you get to see cool people, most of the time it's just it's cool. But it was Ted Danson. And I was like, that's freaking Ted Danson. Yeah. It's like, cheers. Yeah. It's like Becker. And so I was like, dude, can I get a picture? Oh, and it was like, God. sure. And then I got out on stage. I was like, everybody, look, it's Ted Danson. He was nice, so, though. Oh, super nice. And nice. really good looking. Yeah. Like, he's aged well. And, re- oh, my really God. Well. So is Mary. I mean, oh, she yeah. is one of the most they're, beautiful they're people in the world. They're both really kind. And I hated to cut you off there. I don't want to put Lucy, let her keep ringing. But oh, no. You go I wanted up, to talk to her. <laughs> yeah, you have, your, you have your, your clutch with you. Oh, yeah. Um, I just, you know, you don't really have time to think or do much except walk forward. And so I brought my clutch and Jennifer Garner is trying to help me open it for like what seemed like an eternity. And um, I just had a note card inside and all it said was like the names of people like my manager and obviously like my mom and dad and. Those are the only people I got to. Um, but I was just, yeah, I had just come off this, like, high from performing. And that was such a gigantic performance. Just so much energy on stage and so much music. And I was just firing on all cylinders. And then I got off stage with all this adrenaline. And they were like, okay, we need to seat you really quick because they're about to do Best New Artist. And I was like, whew, I'm just catching my breath. And then they called my name and... Was it weird to hear your name? Yeah, it was. I felt like I I was in the Twilight Zone for a second because you have those dreams kind of since you were a kid. And then I heard her say it. And yeah, I mean, you see it in my face, just the utter shock. And um, I, I got my clutch and hugged Ryan, hugged Stapleton and walked up there, luckily, without tripping. And I, I just couldn't... I mean, it was almost going to be one of those cries that you can't get words out. And um, I was dancing on that line. But I, I, I was just overcome with emotion and my parents being in the audience, too. I, and um, I bought them seats, but they were, like, f- further back. And um, I just... I knew I was, like, trying to find them in the crowd. I couldn't. But um, And then you see the the time thing ticking down. It's like, okay, you have four seconds left to say thank you to all these people that got you there. And, um, yeah, I, I couldn't fit everyone in, but I feel like I, I got the really important people. And um, that was Ryan's birthday that night. So it was just, like, a double celebration. But, uh, yeah, I, I didn't have prepared that I was in a bar a year prior, but I was thinking about that all night that, I was sitting in Nailed it. Gave me chills. <laughs> because it wasn't just about you or the industry or 
that moment. It was about what everyone watching could look at and go, you know, every long journey does start with a step. Yeah. And here's that journey and here's that step. And now here here you freaking are. Yeah. And what can happen in a year? I wonder as your parents are sitting in the crowd and they've allowed and encouraged you like, and it's hard when you love someone a lot for that love to grow, but has the love grown as you've appreciated more what they did for you when you were younger? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's sort of that mentality when you, uh, you live with your parents and you're so ready to move out and like go be an adult. And then you're like a few years into paying all your own bills and you're like, wow, they, they really took care of me. And then I'm sure it changes even more when you like get married and have kids and you're like, Oh my God, my parents were right. And, um, the same thing happened, you know, cause I was sort of a, a, a child performer and now I'm, you know, going on 27 soon. And I think about my parents and the sacrifices they've made because we didn't come from money by any means. Like my mom grew up poor, um, just like very humble beginnings. I never had any sort of hand out and neither did they. And they would still, you know, pay the band when the owner of the crappy club would stiff us our money. They would pay out of their own pocket. That was not deep. And, um, I, I, I think about everything that they sacrificed their time and yes, they, they had fun doing it too, but at the end of the day, it's like they, they really did give up everything. So on a whim, just a girl, an 11 year old, 12 year old that liked to sing could do it in front of a few people and it just snowballed. So yeah, I definitely think about that now and have so much better appreciation for what my parents did for me. And, um, and it's not even about money. It's not about anything. It's just about giving your kid the tools to think something of themselves. And I'm very passionate about like fine arts education because I, I didn't go to like a cool or like nice school. I went to public school. It was kind of ghetto. And, um, you know, it just, it didn't have a fine arts program that was anything really. Like I did theater and choir and stuff, but there was just no funding to do anything. But I was so lucky at home to have parents that believed in my love for music and um, gave me that platform to be able to do it. And I know a lot of kids, like, they want to go to school to escape home because maybe at home no one does believe in them or it's put on the other kid or there's just no one home. And I think about, you know, when you go to school, like, the the people there that are supposed to be, like, enriching you creatively, uh, it just gets less and less, I feel, every year. So I was really lucky in those formidable ages to have parents that really gave a shit about me um so yeah I'm I'm excited my mom's gonna be my date to the Grammys and uh we've been going back and forth about what we're wearing and um yeah I mean she's earned that spot just as much as I can feel the emotion coming from your voice when you talk about them really yeah oh yeah I'm trying to Stay cool. I've, I've cried enough at the, the CMAs, so <laughs> trying to keep it together now. But, yeah, I'm excited for them to come out to that because they came out to the CMAs, but this time it's like 
my mom and dad and sister, Carson, my younger sister, she's never gotten to come to an award show. So it's like their first time at that. And it's freaking Grammys. So. And you're for four. Yeah. I don't know. It's wild. I texted Kelsey um, the morning the announcement came out about the nominations and uh, it was so early and I think I, I may have been like the first person to tell her. I don't know. I might be taking that credit, but I texted her the second I found out that we were both up for best new artist and I was like, we're going to Hollywood. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, I was just like astounded that I got nominated in that category, but also it's so cool to like have this full circle moment with artists like Keith where you took me out on tour and now we're both up for best album and to be in these categories with like Thomas Rhett. And I don't know, it's like, it's so cool to see these like buddies of mine. Um, like we all are coming up together and especially artists like Kelsey, it's like we are in this class of new artists and it's cool to have these wins and whoever wins that night, um, Honestly, like it sounds cliche, but I do think just being nominated. I mean, think about the thousands of write-in forms, um, entries that were given to these award shows and the Grammys. And you think about they narrowed it down to five. And that's like a huge win in itself. Did you vote? I voted last night. I had to mail it back. Yeah. Did you have to overnight it? Uh, do we overnight it? Yeah. 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 I was like, I cut it really close. Um, because I've, I've been gone like for the last few weeks. Um, so yeah, I voted, uh, the day before yesterday. I'll keep all the country stuff out of it, but I voted for Adele on about every single pop. You did? Yeah. I I think hello should have won just about every major song or pop category. Yeah. I mean, that was like the biggest song of last year for sure. It was just, I mean, it just engulfed all of all time and space. Yeah. YouTube, radio, everything. It's going to be a showdown, it, I think. Between Adele Beyonce. And, and... I think it's going to be. I mean... The thing about Beyonce's, though, hers didn't cross over as much into just the regular mainstream people walking down the street. Every right. dude who was 48 years old knew, hello. Oh, yeah, yeah. In just terms of, like, knowing music... And it being commercial, yeah, for sure. I mean, Adele sold 8 million copies, I think, of 25. And Adele's old school. Yeah. Too. I mean, she's doing it from a place of... And she reaches, I think, a wider age spectrum, yeah. too. Like, you go to her show and you see people like our age and then you see like 90-year-olds. They're both winners. Let's not lie. Yeah, they, Regardless, they're both big winners. They're, they're doing all right. Mike, anything you want to ask Marin before we uh, wrap her up? Yeah. Uh, how do you get the call to do SNL? What, what happens? Um, so the way that happened was after the CMAs, I think the talent booker for SNL, he saw my performance. And it was so last minute because they were trying to find the last two or three artists for their last few shows of the season. And they reached out to me because they had, they, they had heard about me for you know the whole year it's probably like elton that. elton probably called him yeah elton, like, hey, elton yeah. finally he put the word in um yeah all those like tv talent bookers know each other and they're all like vying for the new artist or whoever it's like very competitive and like crazy but snl is such um an esteemed 
music breaking show and they have fewer episodes than like obviously good morning america blah blah blah, jimmy fallon um that they they're just so picky and they don't really have country artists on there all that often i think the last country artist they had margo price this year and then stapleton you get nervous for that yeah yeah I, i always get nervous for live stuff just because it's live and I don't know. With SNL, it's just so legendary. Did I you mean, take it in? Like, I'm a huge comedy guy. So for me. Yeah. But even like you said, the music that's been broken there. Did you walk around and look at the pictures and the walls yes. and take it in? Yeah. I looked at the pictures. Like, in my dressing room, it was all the musical guests that had been there. And, um, yeah, just walking down the hallway and seeing these cast pictures from every season. And seeing, like, you know, the, the Will Ferrells. And then um, y- seeing, like... I don't know. There were so many um, down the hallway and like the first cast in like 75 having like Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase. It was so cool to see the history. And then, you know, I'm I've just started like getting into 30 Rock and it walking the hallways of SNL and like NBC Rockefeller. Like, it's just crazy to feel like you're in that show. And yeah, it's just, yeah, like seeing Keenan walk by you're like oh my god and like bobby moynihan like doing the thank you at the end and like turning around and like talking to the cast and you're like you're bobby moynihan and then we went to the after party and it was already so late like way past my bedtime and um we went to the the restaurant where it was at and we just like sort of formed our own party at the after party like my friends and the band and stuff and then we uh we were like, oh, crap, it's like 4 in the morning. We were like, we need to go. And um, I was like, I'm going to just check to see who's left in here. And it was Vanessa Bayer, uh, who was so cool, and then Lauren Michaels. Oh, when, Lauren was still hanging out? At 4, really? yes. And I, we'd been running around the like past two days like at SNL that – and the cast is everywhere, but you, I never saw Lorne, but everyone else in my camp did like, they were like, Oh yeah, he's just always hanging out. He's watching every skit. And, um, I was like, I have, I haven't gotten to meet him yet. And I'm just a huge fan. He's just a legend. And so I was like, do I need to walk over? Like, I'm going to walk over. I'm just going to like do it. And he's with his family, I think. And it's 4am and he's still rocking at this after party. And, um, it's, winding down obviously but i go over and he sees me walking towards him and uh he's like oh hey he's like great job tonight that was awesome uh thank you for being here and i i said well thank you for having us i mean this is truly like we'll we'll never forget this this has been a dream on all of our bucket lists and he was like you live in nashville right Uh, my daughter goes to school there and we just chatted for like a, a minute and then I was like, I'll leave you back to your, your dinner, but um, thank you for having us. And I walked out, and I was like, I cannot believe <laughs> the last person I saw in this place was Lorne Michaels. And, but he's been doing the show for so long. The That's whole, their schedule. Yeah. Except for a brief period of time the whole time. Like, he started it and went away then, and then, then came then, back. Then when it went down, he came back. Right. And so, yeah. He's well. used to, to staying up that late. Marin, it's good to have you. Thanks, Bobby. I hope, you, I hope this has been fun for you. It's been fun for me. It has. I have a wall of people that I really root for, and I don't keep them all up there, but I have... Uh, I have, oh, I, have I G- just noticed this. Jansen and the Little Big Town guys and Pasley and Keith and Kelsey. And on the bottom, the latest one is uh, Hero, a, a vinyl from you. So, so cool. You always got a friend That's over quite here. quite a wall. 
Well, I'm glad that we got to do this. I've been wanting to for a while. You get too big, I, I couldn't get a, couldn't get you in. You oh see God! All, all glow trying all over the world. <laughs> I, I'm congratulations on no, everything. No, I love. This was so fun. Glad I got to do. Thank you, uh, Maren Morris, and uh, buy the record. And if you hear this when the next record's out, it's fantastic. Her second <laughs> record is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, if you're hearing this, then trust me, it's just as good. If it's not, it's European better. dance rock. Oh, it's she fan- finally did it. Fantastic. She redid the dinosaur song. So, uh, <laughs> episode 31 gonna go. Marin Morris, and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks, guys.